0: This is Great Dane Nation presented by Vegas Insider. I'm your host, Morton Anderson. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host Tommy Freeze Pops. Tommy, what's going on, my friend?
1: Morton, thanks as always for having me, and this week we're joined by the most colorful personality in NFL history for my money, the playmaker, Michael Irvin. And then we'll be joined by Brian Edwards from Vegasinsider.com to talk about this week's slate of NFL action. And as always, we'll close things out with your weekly game winner. So we got a lot of great stuff planned for you guys. But more and more importantly, how was your Thanksgiving? It was wonderful.
0: Uh, Spent it with a a few friends, not very many. And we had a great time. The family, the kids are home. Sebastian's home from Michigan State. But I heard a little bird chirping in my ear while I was stuffing myself with turkey and stuffing, etc., that... You might have had a better Thanksgiving than me. Can you can you fill our our lovely and intelligent and engaging listeners in on what transpired with you and uh, and your family this weekend?
1: Well, I got engaged, Morton. I made it wow. official. I threw a ring on it, got it done. Uh, it was amazing. It was incredible. We did it the day after Thanksgiving. She was shocked. She was completely surprised, which is the best part. I had to do a lot of lying to make it happen, to make it a surprise. That's always the worst part, right? Whenever you try to pull off these surprises, you have to make sure that you remember all of these lies. You almost want to make a chart in a notebook somewhere to make sure that you don't contradict yourself somewhere. But
0: I, I want to set it up for the listener because it's there's always juicy details when a guy gets on one knee and proposes. There's anxiety. How, let's start by asking, how long have you been planning? This has been in the works for
1: a little over two months. So a lot of planning because we live in St. Louis and I wanted to do it here in Rhode Island where my parents live. So to do that and coordinate all that, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And on top of that, because I was doing it with my parents, I wanted to make sure her family was here for the engagement as well. So I coordinated having them fly into New England to surprise her after the engagement. So to coordinate flights and another whole family's life to come here, yeah. I was a out of my mind wreck trying to get this so, done.
0: So two months of lying, yes, and deceit <laughs> and secrets. Yes, uh, I'm sure that made me. That made you feel great. I was dying inside, and honestly,
1: <laughs> my girlfriend could tell. My girlfriend, now fiance, I should say. I got to get used to saying fiance, yeah. which is weird. Future wife. Yeah, future wife. Um, she could definitely tell something was up. Like she started calling me out towards the end of the two months. It was just like you feel disconnected. Like what's <laughs> wrong? You're not listening to me. But what she didn't realize is like I'm sending emails and texts to all sorts of people trying to get this thing squared away. So if I wasn't like listening to something here or there, it's because I'm focused. And then I'm trying to downplay certain things. It was just, it was awful for me because Morton, you know me, like I'm a happy, like go lucky guy, like it's to sort of lie and, you know, yeah. I don't know, try and be sneaky is just not in my nature
0: in any way. So
1: <laughs> it was brutal. So I'm so happy it's over. I'm still happy it worked out the way it did.
0: <laughs> give me a, all right, so quickly, uh, give me specifically what the day was like and how you presented the ring. Where did you go? Give me juicy details. And I like the details of, of the, you know, cause I, I, I was like, I was a wreck too when it, when I did it, you know, I, anyway, that's for another, that's, this is your stage now.
1: We woke up on the Friday after Thanksgiving, and I had told her that my parents set up for us to go to a Christmas tree farm to cut down a tree for our family. And I told her that when you go to cut down the Christmas tree at this specific farm, they do pictures. So then you have you know a Christmas card option type thing. And she completely bought it. My mom and dad did not tag a tree. There was no tagging. There's no tree in the house right now. My parents use a fake tree. There was no photographer set up with this farm that does pictures like that. I had contacted the photographer separately to meet us there and pretend like he worked at the farm. So we get to the farm. We walk up to the tree. She's looking for a tag that says Carol on it. But instead, what she found was one decorated tree in the Mm. middle of a field of Christmas trees. And that's where I hit my mark, got down on a knee. Don't really remember everything that I said because I sort of blacked out in just nervousness. And I didn't write anything down either. I don't know how you did it or how other people's do it, but I didn't write anything because I was like, I'm just going to speak from the heart. I know what I want to say. And she was so excited. And of course, she said yes. And then I revealed that, hey, the photographers don't actually work for the farm. They're here to take pictures. They, you know, they And they captured the moment, which was great. And we walked around the farm and took some pictures. I, I had some champagne in the car with some flutes to take some pictures with too, which came out great. And then I took her back to my parents' house to... Celebrate, but what she didn't know was her parents were hiding in my parents' house with her sister. So we walk into my parents' kitchen, and you know, her family is around the corner, so she lost it again. I think she's still in shock that her parents were here, and it was a great day. We had a great weekend with them, showed them around the state of Rhode Island because they're St. Louis lifers, they've never been up to New England for an extended period of time. So awesome! Just I couldn't have asked for a better weekend. I I can't, I've never done anything more successful than this in my entire life.
0: (laughs) I love it. Well, my congratulations to you and your bride to be. Much happiness to both of you. Suffice it to say, you might have recruited your inner playmaker for this move. (laughs) Would you? uh, Would you agree with that?
1: I think I unearthed my inner playmaker for sure. I mean, I brought my A game, one hundred percent. I wanted to score on every play. That's right. So. Uh, It was great, man. And speaking of the Playmaker, why don't we get to that conversation with Michael Irvin?
0: All right, man. Let's kick it. I'm so excited to welcome my, my next guest. He is, of course, the Playmaker, one of the greatest nicknames in all of sports. And he is a dear Hall of Fame brother of mine. I'm excited to call him a friend, and just love this guy, love his energy. And of course, I'm talking about Michael Irvin. How are you, Michael?
2: Well, I'm doing well, buddy. How's everything, man? How's your family in this, uh, let's call it, unprecedented what, what, time what do- that we're living in?
0: Mike, I'm doing great. I'm, I always try to find common ground between us, because we come from different backgrounds, obviously, different continents. You were born in Fort Lauderdale. Big family, I come from a very small country the size of Maryland, a little country named Denmark. But I found four things that you and I have in common. We're both members of the all decade team of the 90s. Pro Football Hall of Fame, you were inducted in 2007. I was inducted 10 years later in 2017. We both have the COVID-19 antibodies. I got it in New York. At a Hall of Fame event for the military in February, you got it in June or something like that.
2: Yeah, but I wasn't at no Hall of Fame event. I was in Tulum, Mexico. Shh, don't tell
0: nobody. I heard you had some real issues. I had no symptoms, Mike. On on. Oh my this God, COVID.
2: dog! Oh, okay. hey, I heard boy. you.
0: I heard you had a little bit. You know
2: what? And and I didn't have any issues breathing. Right? I didn't have any issues breathing, but. But the headache that it gave me, oh my God, oh my God, I, I don't wish that on anybody. I promise you, that was the hardest thing I'd ever had to deal with. I kept saying to myself, oh my God, God, I can't take this, I can't take- you can't think. I couldn't text back, you know, people were texting me, I couldn't really text them back. It was just yeah. such excruciating pain in my head. I remember saying, oh, my God, I'm so glad I only got two weeks of this. Like, if I had to do this an extended period of time in life and deal with this, there's no way I would stay around for that. I just kept telling myself, you only got two weeks. You only got two weeks. You only got two weeks. Just get through two weeks. But, yeah, it was was one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with.
0: I'm so glad you came through it. I'm so glad that uh, you're fine and –
3: The last
0: bad good that you and I have in common is we both found out we have sleep apnea. I have sleep apnea. My wife tells me all the time to snore, snore, snore. So I did a sleep study, and I got the nose pillows now. Now I got this machine. My boys call me the elephant man (laughs) because I got this big hose about six feet long, and the nose pillows and the headgear. And I sleep like a baby, Mike, and I wake up. I don't feel groggy. My wife slept because I didn't snore her out of the room. Have you had the similar experience?
2: Man, mine has been a mess, man. It's just like, because, cause, right, and I was traveling. I'm traveling all the time. You got to take the, and they, can let, they allow you those machines, right? They're going to take those machines. They allow you to take those machines. And I was like, you know, take the, take the, sleep apnea machines. But I'm taking them. I'm on the road, trying to sleep. I can't sleep, you know, and, and. And and it's, I'm, my sleep still is just bad. It's just bad, and, and maybe it's because of my my schedule, you know. And, and I'm the kind of guy that want, I, I go down when I finally get tired, go to sleep, and and then I wake up every morning. 6 a.m. to try to go get a workout in. If I don't wake up and start the day, then I feel bad and start questioning what kind of man are you? You're not the same man you used to be. Of course, I'm not the same man. I'm an old ass man, but I I, I still have (laughs) that mentality. You never go do it. If you don't do it, you're not the same man. You know that that. That's what people don't talk about. That thing that drove you to greatness, if you're not careful, can drive you crazy after. Because you still have that push in you, and you know you're old. Your ass is old. It's okay now. You're old, but your mind won't receive it, and you keep trying to push like you're still in a league. Like, dude, <laughs> you know, it, we, it's crazy.
0: We are creatures, Mike, of habits. Ball players are creatures of habit and structure. And whether we have to invent that structure or it is made for us, we need it. We yearn we yearn for it. If we don't have it, it becomes anarchy, and <laughs> we're gonna be like a damn flag in the wind with no direction. You're right. So, You're right, and that's a dangerous thing for a
2: hundred percenter. For a hundred percenter, now this is where I would say to people, now listen, we are all hundred percent. We threw ourselves a hundred percent into something, and because we had an ability, to, we had something that we loved to throw ourselves a hundred percent in. It, it, it kept us directed. Now, if you don't have something to throw yourself in 100%, it ain't mean It doesn't mean you're going to say, okay, I'm going to just pocket my 100%. No, you're still 100%. percent you go throw yourself into something. You're going, So you have to make sure it's something good or it can end up being something not good. And you're still going to be throwing 100% into it.
0: An idle mind is the devil's playground. And... We're used to be living busy lives and having noise around us, but also being able to compartmentalize that and make sense of it, of the chaos. Let's face it, the football game is chaotic. It is a series of violent moments interrupted by some sense of calm, interrupted again by moments of terror and highs and lows. And only, you can't explain that, Mike. You can't. And you lived it, at some really great places, starting in Lauderdale in high school. You were 15th out of 17 siblings, Mike.
2: The 15th of 17. I'm the 15th of 17. Oh. Right. They, they beat me up it. enough to know him, right? You know what I mean? Because I was a young guy. You know, that's what they do. And what, we didn't have anything. I mean, we were poor, you know. But but and, and even when I'm out speaking, because I do speaking circuit. Uh, I, I tell people, I said, man, we were so poor growing up. And I understand because I speak for a living that the correct word is poor. But since we were so poor, we couldn't afford the O and R. We just said we were poor and we really were poor. Like that's how, that's how we look at it. But you don't know that growing up because everybody around you ha- ha- has the nothing that you have. Now, you know, because there were so many of us, people that around us, Maybe, like, he had a bike or this person had a bike or whatever, and I didn't have a bike. The first bike I got was my uh, cousin's bike that he had three years in the same neighborhood. But other than that didn't matter. I was just happy to have a bike, you know, at the time when you don't have anything. I, I tell people about when you're 15 to 17 um, and not have anything, that you just took the hand-me-downs. It's true. It's the hand-me-downs. So you would have to hope and pray that by the time the clothes got to you. Uh, for example, the jeans. Blood bottoms may be in when this fifth kid has them. You hope by the time they go six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and get to the fifteen, the blood bottoms go in style, out of style, in style. You just like, geez, let, let, let them be back in style when he lands on me. Because I'm going to have to wear these same blood bottom jeans because there ain't no more jeans about This is what we have. You know what I mean? It, it was that kind of thing growing up. And it was interesting because now you, you, you know, God has allowed me to live a different life. And, and I look back to that, we didn't have anything, but we had some love, and, and we had direction. And everybody in the neighborhood can whip your ass. You do something wrong, the person down the street will beat you. And then call your mom and say, Pearl, Michael down here. I had the woman." She said, well, okay, I appreciate you send him on home. I'm like, you do that now, you go in the jail. You whip somebody else's kid, you go in the jail. But back then, the whole neighborhood we're looking after you, and they would all, you know, they would all take their turns disciplining you if they caught you doing something wrong.
0: It had to be an interesting time around the dinner table with everybody there, and I guess not everybody was there because there must have been a huge gap in age difference between the oldest of your siblings and the youngest—thirty years, twenty-five years. Yeah,
2: it's a big gap. It's thirty, thirty-some years of babies, right?
0: You got to get some food at the dinner table, man. That had to be, almost had to do that in shifts.
2: Yeah, food got portioned out. It was, this is what it is. It's yours, it's yours, it's yours. And I remember telling my dad, I don't like this. He said, son, you'll eat it before he eat you. Because that's all we have, son. And he said, you can eat it or you can leave it there. But it, 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 there is no more food to eat. So he would always say, you'll eat it before he eat you. And he's right. We ended up eating, whether you like it or not. You go eat it because you need it to eat something, you know. So, so, yeah, so, so, and, and, and then this, this is why I got beat up a lot too more, because you know, after you would eat, whatever we have dinner, you know, the next day maybe we have some cereal or something, and they're like, okay, you're gonna eat this for breakfast, and then this for dinner, and at least cereal here, you can have a bowl of cereal, and then the rest of the cereal are for tomorrow's morning. So I would eat this area, go to school. Then I'm running around in school. I would come home. I'm hungry. I'm gonna grow more. I'm hungry. I want to eat some more. So I would eat the cereal, and they would whip my tail every time. It got to the point where I said, "Okay, I'm willing to take this whipping for those cereals. I don't wow. care. I'm gonna take it." So, so, so that's how I think my toughness. I went through whippings. I mean, by all of my oldest sisters who were trying to manage the house. And of course, I was coming in eating everything I could eat because I was out running around burning a lot of energy.
0: What's your favorite cereal?
2: Oh my God, man. Now, my favorite is Frosted Flakes. But here's this. Get this and I do it now. It's Frosted Flakes, Captain Crunch, and I still do it right now. Because growing up, we used to sell cornflakes every $0.99 cents. So you get to about the cost of Frosted Flakes. Because with cornflakes, I had to go borrow some sugar. Frosted Flakes, you you didn't have to get the sugar. So if I could save up $1.69 to, to get the bottle of Frosted Flakes, I didn't have to try to find some sugar. You know what I mean? So, so we get it. Milk, we didn't have a lot of all the time. So I grew accustomed to eating cereal with water I, and, and Frosted Flakes. Leave water just as good as they leave milk. Captain Crunch leave water just as sweet and good as they leave milk. So I got used to eating them with water, and even in college, I would eat it with water. And still, to this day, sometimes I eat cereal. I had a bowl the other day. Now I pour a little, pour a little bit of milk in there, and then pour water because I still. It's just, it's just something that that reminds me of where I came from and keep going.
0: You stayed in the area too, man. You, you get. Recruited by the great Jimmy Johnson to play college ball at the U. Was that where you always wanted to play? I mean, you're from South Florida.
2: Oh, uh, you know, and, and, and it's how this went down. Now, this is how it went down. I, I wanted, I wanted to make a make a change. I said, you know, my dad was getting sick. I wanted to make a better decision, make better decisions, do better things. And, and I had some friends, and they were going to St. Thomas. They said, man, you should try. Maybe you should try to get in St. Thomas. You, you know, you could play there, and they could. Pr- they college prep school. I said, I, I don't know. Then I thought about it, and they took me over uh, to see the school and meet some people. And I was like, wow, this this is great. This is what I need to be doing. But I had issues at the public school. So after the public school suspended me and kicked me out, I made a decision. I said, I want to transfer. And, and, and back then, you had to get the, the waivers signed. The principal would not sign the waiver. He said, I'm not signing the waiver because no way Michael would make a decision to transfer. He's just doing this to play sports. And I, and, and I was saying, no, I want to prepare myself for college. I, I need help preparing for college. And, he, and and so so they took me to court. The decision from the courts were, if you're doing this for your education, you can go to St. Thomas, but you cannot play sports. Or you can go back to Piper High School, it was the high school I was at, and, and you can play sports and do whatever you want to do. I had to make a decision. I was a junior in high school, and I said, okay, I'm uh, you know, I'm going to go to St. Thomas, and I'm going to go to St. Thomas. And I thought they would say, you know, okay, go to St. Thomas. Well, we understand, son. We don't want to keep you from playing. We just want to see what decision you would make. But I was like, no, I'm going to St. Thomas. They said, okay, and then you're ineligible. So I could not play. Didn't play my whole junior year. I had one year to play in high school to prove Mm. that I can earn a scholarship and get out of the hellhole that I had grown up in. In that one year, they had just moved me to wide receiver. So before that, I played tight end, offensive tackle, defensive end, and linebacker. My senior year moved me to wide receiver. It was my first year playing wide receiver, and I set all the records there for a year at St. Thomas and earned a scholarship to go to the University of Miami. My junior year, as I make the decision, my dad gets real sick. He had a brain and throat cancer. Um, mm-hmm. And he's telling me how proud he is. He says, I'm so proud you're making decisions that that's going to really be good for you down the road in your life. You're, and you're making the sacrifice for not playing sports. And then three days before my senior game, my first game in my senior year at St. Thomas that I'm able to play, he passed. And, and losing him was, was such a moment. You asked why I went to Miami. You know, ultimately, I I was at Indiana University. Uh, Syracuse was a visit. LSU was a visit. Uh, I went to Michigan State for a visit. I wanted to go anywhere and get out of Miami. I wanted to get away and see another life because that was the ghetto life. I just wanted to get away from Miami. But when I lost my father and my high school coach, George Smith, he was like, Michael, you're close to your mom. We should think about maybe you play in college close at home. And he brought up the idea of going to Miami, and, and that's how all of that started. Howard Schnellenberger recruited me. At the time, he would bring his helicopter, he smoke the big pipe, and he would come land on the football field and watch me play basketball. Everybody's going crazy, and they were money and me, money and me, money. It was almost like I felt like if I went somewhere else. That I'm letting down everybody. And I needed, I wanted to get the hell out of that hell hole in Miami. But ultimately, I ended up going to Miami. And it was the best decision. Jimmy came in when I, we, we basically came in the first day together. The same day, the first day together. And I got in this big fight that I thought he was going to kick me out my first day in school.
0: What happened with the fight?
2: Well, I, I, I was coming, I just told you about the neighborhood I'm coming from, the situation yeah. I'm coming from. And as a yeah. freshman, when you get there, this is the first time i would ever seen a training table. And they had everything. Oh, my God, they had steaks, you know, mashed potatoes. i never seen anything like this in my life coming out of there. Where I came, I'd never seen anything. And and, and, and they were, you know, making guys do freshman things. Shut freshmen, stay in line. You're not you're standing back in line. You yeah. when we say. eat. Okay, and we hadn't done that for a while. And I was sitting there, man, like 15, 20 minutes. And, they, and everybody eating, everybody going. And, and I, and so I kind of skipped the two dudes, two offensive linemen that were trying to stop all the freshmen. I kind of skipped them, and I said, oh, I'm, He said, me. he told you to deal with? Get your ass. So I I said, okay, okay, listen, man. I just want to order something to eat, man. And, and and then I went back. I got back in line. And then you know what? This dude comes up. He said, just for that, Give me that steak, that freshman wanted. Dude, he ordered. He, oh, boy. He, 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 he pointed at Miss Sarah. That was the lady that fed us. Two great lady. He, give me that steak, that freshman wanted. And for some reason, I lost it. I cracked him across the head with that tray. <laughs> I cracked him. This is the office lineman. Man, I started kicking him in man. They pulled me off him. Oh, my God. They called Jimmy, and they, they sent me to his office. The whole walk there, I'm like, got here, man. This is, your, this is your one opportunity to get out of the ghetto. You just got here. And they're about to send you back home. You know, But when I got there, Jimmy, he calls me in his office and he sits me down and he says, son, he said, I talked with your coach, Coach Smith of St. Thomas. He said, I know you've been through stuff lately. I know you lost your father and I know you're trying to find your way. And I know you're trying to keep a promise you made to your dying father to take care of your mom. He said, son, but this is not the way to do it. You can't be fighting your teammates. We have to fight others. He said, now, Michael, he said, I'm going to let this go. Because I know you've gone through things. I'm going to promise you I'll be here. I'm not going to leave you. I'll be here. I'll help guide you. But we can't be doing these kinds of things. And, and and I told Coach the other day, I said, "Man, I, I can't tell you how much that meant to me that you that you believed in me and that you held on." He actually suspended the offensive lineman because he said, "You're a senior; you should know better," and, and, and kept me on the team.
0: And I think he created a culture and environment at the U, a swagger, but also the accountability factor that you had each other's back and. We were never going to internally strife. We would handle stuff internally. But we were going to be stronger together. And that's what the U became, a football program that had everyone saying the U invented swag. And you were part of that swag that was associated with the program. Try to explain to me why Miami was such a factory number one for all that NFL talent for such a long time and why they had this aura
2: bottom. Well, what happened in Miami in that time, because Howard started it, Howard Snellenberger started it. So in Miami, it was a private school and core games. And we had all these big schools, the Oklahomas, the nebraskas they were running through everybody, everywhere. And Howard, right, he came in, was Howard, Howard Stellenberger said, we are going all over the country, battling all of these big schools for athletes. He said, I'm getting all the athletes now right out of Miami, right out of Florida. He said, I'm going into places that nobody wants to go, and I'm getting those kids, and I'm breaking. Core Gables is very affluent. It's a very affluent area. It, it, it's the kind of area, growing up, you wouldn't catch me walking around as a black man. I, I'm not walking around Core Gables, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. He, walked, he came into the ghettos of Florida. And got all of those players and he brought us in and how how it started that thing and Jimmy took it to the next level. Took it to the next level. Like he all the guys, people didn't want, people may have thought this about or said this about and he and he made that a family and a team. And he would always say to us, you know, like, like he said to me, I'll be here for you. He would always tell all of us, he said, You guys, go. And win. And do what we do. Let's win how we win. Do what we do. Have fun. He said, I'll take all the strife. Don't worry about it. I'll take all the mess that everybody's saying, all that they say about us. I'll take that. You just keep winning. And I think he, what he did, what they did, was believe in a group of guys that never really had a whole lot of people and a whole lot of things to believe in. It started a wave, man, and became something. And now we were playing and beating the, the top teams, you know, the Oklahoma's and the Nebraska's. Like, oh, my God, who is this little Miami team coming up? And when that started, everything just just avalanche, man. It was some great days in Miami winning in college football. I mean, we were it walking around Miami. The Miami Dolphins we're not as famous as we were. We won 58 straight home games. It's still a record to this day. 58 straight college games in Miami. We were gold in Miami. Wow, was able to. It was an incredible time. Incredible time. Where does
0: 1987 and the national championship got to rank right up there among individual accomplishments, team accomplishments?
2: Listen, man. I played in, basically, I believe three years in college because I graduated after my junior year of eligibility yeah. and it came into yeah, the league. Really. Back then, you had to graduate to go to the league early. So in my three years that I played at the University of Miami, we played Tennessee, Penn State, Oklahoma. We played for three national championships. I won the third, Oklahoma. Should have beat Tennessee, we should have beat Penn State. Oklahoma won it that year. We had already beaten Oklahoma earlier that year. That third year, we, we won. We beat Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl in Miami to win the national championship. I cringe in my old age, regretting not winning all three of those national championships. I cringe not winning five Super Bowls. I won yeah. three. Yeah, and yeah. I cringe because I should have won five each and every day. Emin and I, that's what we talked
0: about on our podcast. We should have easily won five, people, both. Should have won five. And, and we only won three. Is Miami back here with Manny Diaz? But, but see, when we say back, they're moving towards a
2: good place. To be back... I man I, I don't know if that's even possible to ever get back to where it was then. I, I just don't know. I hope we can. I pray we can uh, or at least get back into those fights where we're fighting with Clemson and we're fighting with Alabama for a possible chance at winning a national title. But earlier this year when they played Clemson, the game didn't go so well. So it shows that maybe Miami is just a few more players away. Now when I say three players, I'm talking about players with the right with the right attitude, not just the right physical skill set. It has to be players with the right attitude, and I think they can get what we would like to call this back. That means back into the national championship hunt, back to playing those teams and getting to that final four.
0: And you have players, quarterback, Derek King, you have defensive end, Jalen Phillips. Pretty good guys right there. What do you think about those two gentlemen?
2: Yeah, great, great kids. Great kid, great, great, great. Play. And, and, and I'm so glad that we got King here because we have been looking for a, a quarterback forever. And there was a time that Miami was known as quarterback and wide receiver You, Jim Kelly first round, Bernie Kosar, first round, Vinny Verdez first round, Steve Walsh first round, Craig Erickson first, first round. We had all, all you know, Gino Toretta, one Eisman, We had all of these quarterbacks come through. And and all these wide receivers come through and go to the league, you know, the Santana Moss, the Reggie Wayne, Michael Irvin. We had so many guys that came through. We were known as quarterback and wide receiver, you. And then we couldn't find a quarterback. But this kid, this King kid, he's doing a great job throwing the ball and also being able to use his legs to uh, make plays running the ball.
0: How important is it to have our fellow uh, Hall of Fame brother, Ed Reed, as the chief of staff down at Miami for that football program? You know, it's nice to have a guy in there with some experience in the locker room.
2: Yeah, and is such a great dude. You know, I know they were, yeah. they were talking to Alonzo Highsmith at, at first for that role, and Alonzo mm-hmm. being, you know, in in the, in the NFL business. From what I understood had a whole bunch of things he wanted to go in and change and they were like, well, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. We're not talking about, you know, GM and everything. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 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 I didn't say it long so long ago. so what happened? Why did you take the position? Well man, I, I wanted to do this I said, No, 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 no. You can't you can't go in just debo and everything. You gotta you should just go in and then gradually make changes. As you go, you know, but Zoe's one of those old school guys. You know, he's good dude. I said, so you got to you got to gradually make change. Now Ed is more suitable, probably, for what they want. For what they want, now they want to build a team. I, mean, I think Zoe would be great because Zoe's been doing that. You know, he did it with Green Bay, he's done it with with Cleveland. He's been in the league for a long time doing that. But they wanted they wanted help getting in kids, recruiting kids, and all of that. And Ed is great for that because Ed is known to the younger generation as simply one of the greatest safeties to ever play the game, to ever play the game. So I think that's a great role for Ed.
0: You get drafted 11th overall in the first round. You were the final first-round pick made by Tom Landry in his coaching career. Also, the final first-round pick by Tex Sram and Gil Brandt. Tell me about your relationship with Tom Landry.
2: He, He was an incredible man. Like I 'cause you know what? My dad my dad, you know, that that's what we would do on Sundays. My dad loved Tom Landry so much, man. I'm telling you right now, we spent so many days watching the Dallas Cowboys play. My dad he wore a Fedora hat because he, he, he loved Tom so much he wore the hat that Tom wore. And and it was just all oh, just an incredible thing to be drafted uh to go play for the man. That my father, who I love, who who I lost and, and and loved dearly, admired so much. My father was a minister, you know, and and and, and Tom is a, a deeply spiritual man. So so and he would always promise me, he said, son, one day, one day, I'm gonna save enough money. We go, we we gonna go catch a game. We are gonna catch a game. I promise you one day." Of course, we we never could save enough money to go catch a game. But when I got drafted to the Cowboys, that 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 was that was an emotional moment because my dad told me, he said, one day, son, you're going to play for the Dallas Cowboys. And I was like, yeah, okay, dad, he's trying to, <laughs> you know, encourage me. But I absolutely ended up playing for the Dallas Cowboys. And, and remember now, Dallas was not the first. Since I graduated after my junior year, any team that draft me had to make sure that I was okay with being drafted or I could drop a class not graduate, go to summer school, pass the class, and then ask for a supplemental draft, and that team would have lost the draft choice. So the seventh pick, Green Bay Calls. Here I am, I'm the brokest black brother in the world. The brokest black brother in the world, and I I have Green Bay calling me at number seven asking me, uh, Michael, we're thinking about drafting you at number seven. My whole family's like, no way, Green Bay. No, no, we don't go to Green Bay. Oh, <laughs> not good at go. No way, Green Bay. And ultimately, that gave me the end when Dallas Dallas, Dallas didn't even call. Dallas mm-hmm. didn't even call. And I'll tell you what, what, why. Jimmy Johnson had already told me. Jimmy said, Michael, Dallas is thinking about drafting you. He said, I want you to know this. He said, "I have a, a oil friend who's been trying to buy the Dallas Cowboys." He said, "Don't don't that game that that thing you're doing trying to control the draft." He said, Dallas, if they draft you, I may be joining you, so you're not going to play that thing with Dallas." He told me this the year I left. he stayed one more year. I came, I played one year on the Tom, and then the next year, Jimmy was coming to Dallas, just like he told me. Wow,
0: that is a uh, twist on that whole story that I had not heard. And you, of course, welcomed that, and it made your decision easy. Go along with the flow here, let's ride this puppy, right? Let's ride it, man, because
2: I'm going to tell you what happened. Now, when I got here, more, there were a lot of guys that have been here for a while, and, and they were more in the mind of, you know, I, I felt like they were more like, we we lost our first game. Pittsburgh, my rookie year, my first game, man, you know, I, 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 I'll I never forget it. Because I, I caught my first pass. Just a curl route. I go all the way. I make a score, score touchdowns. Oh, it's easy. Of course, we don't score anymore. They kept scoring. They win that game, right? I was crying. I had been to Miami. I lost maybe two, three games my total three years at Miami. Because we were like, fifty 58 straight. We were killing everybody. And I was crying. And there were guys walking by me saying, hey, man, come on, man. It's the NFL. You just pick up that check on Tuesday. That blew my mind. That blew my mind. And I remember as we went through that year, I was 3 and 13 that year. I would cry just about after every loss. I mean, boo hoo cried. I was just bad at losing. I would boo hoo cry. And, and every guy that came by that year and said, man, we pick up that check on Tuesday. When they hired Jimmy Johnson, in our culture, in African American culture, we got to think, I don't snitch. I don't snitch. Dude, I snitched on everybody. I said, coach. Him, 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 him. They gotta talk. I said, they oh gotta coach. God. I ain't lying. Because I said, these, these dudes came up to me, coach, and said what they said. Oh, man, we we'll to pick up the juggle I said, man, this is, this is, we gotta be about winning, coach. He said, hey, we got rid of them. We got rid of that element. And that's how we started getting the right people in to start changing things around. But I remember we definitely got rid of that. Man. And I knew. I told him. I said, when Coach Johnson gets here, all this going to change. I said, all this going to change. I guarantee you. Y'all are going to be waiting right around here. Because Coach so Johnson don't play that. He, he, you know, everybody he used to tell us in Miami, oh, y'all yeah, think y'all got a scholarship, four-year scholarship? Those are one-year renewables. I'm going to tell y'all better get going or I'm sending everybody home. And remember, home means back to the ghetto. We all had come from the ghetto. We used to have some
0: incredible
2: practices when really he put that thread on us. Nobody wanted yeah. to go back. We had just got the core Gables. We were living the high life. We are going back to the ghetto. We were some incredible practices once he said that.
0: And it was about to get really good for you guys. I mean, the triplets, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith. What was your first impressions when you saw Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith? You knew, man, we're about to roll.
2: Yeah, and, and, and I had played them both in college. You know, beat him at the University of Florida and, and, and went, went into uh, Norman, Oklahoma, and Troy was ripping us. It was it was the first the Oklahoma, it was the season opener. Oklahoma had never lost the season opener in the history of the school. And now we were playing Oklahoma. And Jimmy, I don't know if Jimmy had ever beaten Oklahoma at that time. And I remember saying to him, Coach, don't worry. We're going with a different stick this time. We got a different stick. Because Oklahoma State was beating him all the time. He was at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma was beating him all the time. So, when we said it, we went in there, and Troy Aikman was the quarterback of Oklahoma. Dude, more. Troy was cutting us up. He was throwing that ball everywhere, man. Jimmy, Jimmy said, I want he we got, we got to get to him. We got to get to Troy. We got to get him out of here. We got to get to him. They got to him. They broke Troy's leg. Troy left the game, and we took off. It was over. (laughs) Once Troy left the game, we were looking for a wishbone, and Troy was throwing throwing the ball all around, which threw our whole game off. So we had to get to Troy. Jerome Brown, they got to Troy. They hit him, broke his leg. He left the game. Next thing you know, I'm 57 yards down the sideline. We blew Oklahoma. We beat Oklahoma. First time they ever lost a season opener. The next year, Troy transfers and go to UCLA. He transferred to go to UCLA, uh, uh, and then a couple of years later, after I, I, I got drafted here, the next year we're drafting Troy, the first pick overall. And I thought once we got Troy, so we—that's all we need. All I needed was a quarterback. I had, you know, I had my quarterback. Now I got my quarterback. We'll take off, and that thing didn't happen. We went from winning three games that first year to winning one game, Troy's first year. I was like, this thing going the wrong way. <laughs> so, so I've gone two years. And I won four games. Four games. The following year they drafted Emmett Smith. And and Emmett was my roommate. And and I had all I had tore up my knee. I was coming back. And we were in LA. We were getting ready to play the Rams. And and Emmitt, I asked Emmett then, I said, Young Buck, what do you want to do, man? He was talking about you we win some championships around here, man. We some championships. And he said to me then he said, Man, I'm gonna become an all the time lead to rush, too, dog. Take your young ass to sleep. Get out of here. I don't want four years in two years. Are you coming in here talking this noise. no one? Get out of my face with that. But you know what? He was exactly right. We did. Yeah. And he did. He became the all-time leading Russia, which I think is yeah. an amazing story.
0: That's amazing because he saw it and then he delivered on it.
2: And I thank him for that more. I said, man, that's one of the things that I I I could take to my grave or I could share with people because I saw it. I heard you. I know how stupid you sound. I know how crazy you sound. I told you, man, hey, let's go to sleep, man. Just don't fumble the ball tomorrow. That's what, that's what, don't worry about all that. Don't worry about being the champ, all that champ stuff. and Just don't fumble the ball. And he actually became exactly what he said. I find that to be just a phenomenal story, and, and I thank God. And I thank him. I said, I appreciate you for letting me witness that.
0: You had a bunch of alpha males, what I mean, some guys that were very strong-minded, who were very dominant, who were great athletes. You were, of course, one of them, and right in the middle of it, you always the life of the party and always lively in the locker room. And then in 1995, Deion Sanders shows up with that same mindset. What was that like for you, playmaker, to, to have a guy like Dion who had played with the Forty ers and now he's on your team, and arguably the only shutdown corner I'm aware of ever really—you know did you guys ever
2: come Green, was in I always say because all the guys, I, I say I, I went through all my—I went to Gold Jackets to get all my gold rings because I played, I played Dion Sanders, Dale Green, Rod Woodson, Anelus Williams, Champ Baylor, all Hall of Famers. And they followed me all over the field, all Hall of Famers. You know, we had some, some incredible battles. I had battles with Dion in college. I had never lost to Dion in college. We played three times in college. Now, Dion made an incredible play one time on an out and up. I beat him so bad on an out and up. And Steve threw the ball. Man, the ball hung up in the air. Dion ran the ball down, ran me in the ball down. Jumped yes. up, caught the ball, pushed me down. I was on the ground. I'm turned. I said, this dude running the right other way, holding my ball up in the air. Sure. It tripped me out. Now, we ultimately won every game I played against him in college, and we had some battles in the NFL. And in that 95 year, he called, and he was thinking about He said, man, I'm thinking about I'm looking at signing back with San Francisco or either with Dallas. And he said, I want to ask, what do you think if I chose Dallas? I said, Down, Dion. I said, man, listen, man, whatever San Fran is, you got to multiply by 10 to scratch the surface of what it means to be a Dallas Cowboy. I said, Come on, man. I said, Just just come in town. We'll, we'll, we'll go up the street. Let me just show you. And, and he came in, and boy, we, you know, and, hey, and then, yeah, and it, yeah we, had, we were young, riding, and we were, yeah, next day, you know, we were signing with Dallas. He was signing with Dallas, and, and it was great. <laughs> It was great to have them because I had battled them so many times and we've had such great battles. It was fun to now get those battles in practice and then go to a game to put, them on, to put what I've learned on somebody
0: else. Michael, I imagine that you guys made each other better in practice because you were both so competitive. I'm sure you wanted to put moves on him that he couldn't defend and he wanted to cover you like you'd never been covered before and that had to make you better and him better.
2: But, you know, what was what was so interesting, it was so interesting is people, you, you look at him and you think it's the physical skill set, but Dion was so smart, and that's what made me better. He made me work on the intelligent side of the game. If I'm two yards outside the numbers and Troy, boom, black, 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 262, and and I used to try to switch that leg up so I can get that third slant, that third step slant, you know, he would pick that up. And I said, oh, my God. Now – I have to go to the next level. I know he picked that up. How do I use it against him? So I got to tell Troy, give me this 262 slant. All right, call, give me that black call again. I'm going to switch it, but when you call it, it's going to be a two pump. You know, he made you work mentally, not just physically. That's what the great ones make you do.
0: Did you get your playmaker in college, or did that come later in the pros?
2: Yeah, they gave, Winston Moss gave me that name in college. Jimmy was at practice, he said, you know, we just lost Eddie Brown and Stanley Shakespeare, and he said, we have to find some playmakers right here. Those guys are gone. We have to find some playmakers so we can have our moment. And then the next practice, I was catching balls and killing them. And Winston Mostert said, there's a playmaker right there. And that name stuck. It's (laughs) been with me. It's it's
0: It's a beautiful nickname. You know, I have one, the Great Dane, but I don't think it rivals Playmaker, but I'll take it. It's suitable. So the Cowboys lose Dak Prescott to a really bad injury. Do you feel like the injury will keep Dak from getting the big payday that he so deserves?
2: I I think it actually helped him now. Because when you see what what, what it looks like without him, then you say, okay, no. It it really is helping them because they need Dak Prescott out there. But right now, more you hurt in the two positions that they have hurt they got called in. Both tackles out, gone for the year. Dale Collins, Tyron Smith, gone for the year. You you, you know, you lose uh, Joe Looney. You you lose all of that all all those offensive linemen. And then you lose the quarterback. The two positions you cannot be hurt and expect to do great things, the offensive line and quarterback. Decimated. That's what's going on with this team. That's what's going on with this team. And now they're trying, to, they're trying to find the soul of who they are and try to put some fight on the field. And they have done that the last couple of weeks. They've done that against Pittsburgh, and they did that in the game they won against Minnesota. So hopefully that's saying that they're moving in another direction and moving towards doing some things. They won't do great. They won't do great even if they won this NFC East that people call the least. They won't do great. But, but what will happen is at least they'll brew something and so they fall back. And then when they get the other guys back, they can add the other guys to that and do some
0: great things. So there's been some incredible lineage, Michael, on the number 88. It's very rich in Cowboys history. You have Ron Sellers, who's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Drew Pearson, who's in the Cowboys Ring of Honor. Of course, you, Michael, Des Bryant, who was an all-pro wide receiver. And then this kid, pretty good, C.D. Lamb, who's wearing number 88. But what about the catch you made the other day? Incredible, wasn't it? A phenomenal grab. It was
2: one of one, one, what I call the most spectacularly difficult grab I've ever seen, period. Yeah, it, it, you got to understand what it takes to contort your body and to the way he contorted it. And then when you turn the way he turned, you lose all understanding of which way is up, which way is down. So you're just floating in ether and floating, right? And, just, and to be able to find that ball and focus on that ball the way he did, it's really matrix type stuff. It's an incredible matrix type catch. One of the greatest catches I've ever seen. Barton on. And, when, and then you put on a difficult meter. one it catches or something. They're, oh, that Beckham one hand catch. Okay, uh, I, you know, I, it's about positioning the ball, positioning the body. He can easily position his body and make that not an easy catch, but he can easily position his body. The DeAndre Hopkins, it's about jumping over somebody and taking the ball uh, until his body is still easily positioned. That grab right there was about it's an incredible position to try to put your body in, and you still came down with the ball. It was a phenomenal catch by 88.
0: That answers my question. Whether he deserves the honor of wearing 88, I think that's a resounding yes. Yes, a talented
2: young man. A talented young man. And, and can do a lot of things, man. Punt returns, uh, things like that. Just phenomenal. Um, so, so he does it all. And why, what I liked about him when I watched him before they drafted him, he had success inside and success outside at Oklahoma. So just a phenomenal talent they got.
0: Do you think Mike McCarthy was the correct person to hire this offseason? And do you agree with Jason Garrett being fired after last season? I, I thought a change was
2: needed. They needed to make a change. And, and it's just unfortunate that with that change came something that nobody expected, uh, uh, like COVID. And they were not able to put the work in. And even more, no matter what, we can get all the talent in the world. You still have to put that work in, and and there's no shortcut in this game. It's not like basketball or baseball where you have individual success. You know, basketball, one guy can have great success, and one guy can have, can take a ball from one rim and and take it to the other by himself. Baseball, you can snap home runs by yourself. And football, everything is interconnected and interdependent. So you have to make sure you get the time to work together because everything is interconnected and interdependent, and they didn't get a chance to do that.
0: I want to end with just a quick talk about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I know it means a lot to you. When you were inducted in 2007, you chose Jerry Jones to be your presenter. Why did you choose Jerry Jones, and what's your relationship with the owner of the Dallas Cowboys today?
2: Well, I chose – and it's a good thing to end with because, listen, I think the world of Jerry Jones, you know, and I chose him because I watched and we came and I watched the journey. I watched what he put into this team. I watched what it meant to him, you know, and people say a lot of things about him. but 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 Jerry, he'll do anything for his players, He'll do anything for the Dallas Cowboys, and I mean things that, that's far beyond just football stuff that, that and, and to have him sit there and that be and it's the first time that he got a chance to walk on that stage, when I asked him to present me and to see the emotions that welled up in him was just incredible. It was They were really incredible emotions and and I, I couldn't have been more happy with what he did on that stage what he did on that podium. And that's our moment. We will always have it. I had some rough times, even when I was playing. Jerry was always right there by my side. Right now, today, if I ever needed him, I can call him. He'll always offer up whatever assistant he can offer up. He's a loyal man. And and, and I was so happy to have
0: him on that stage with me. All right, Playmaker, here at the end, I want to give you some props and plug your podcast, the Michael Irvin Podcast. It's launched this fall. You've had some really cool guests, among them Stephen A. Smith, Ray Lewis, Jimmy Johnson, Charles Haley, Jerome Bettis, Chris Carter, Aqib Talib, and many, many others. So congratulations on that. If uh, you need a great dane on the podcast, I'm ready, Michael. And I hope to see you soon, buddy. Thank you.
2: Absolutely. More any time, buddy. I, I appreciate it, man. And we, are at, we were absolutely uh, we will do the reverse. And, and get you on, man! It will absolutely do that, buddy.
0: Freeze, pops! I could spend hours with Michael Irvin. He's he's a great storyteller. His recollection of his child, his whole journey, really, is colorful and in great detail. I can see why he does really well in broadcasting and in public speaking. He's a very dynamic man, very engaging. And uh, just really uh, enjoyed my time with with the playmaker, Michael Irvin, But I will have more on him, of course, in my game winner at the end of the episode. But Freeze Pops, before we get to your conversation with Brian Edwards, tell our listeners where they can find us on social media.
1: Follow us on Twitter, at Nation, Follow us on Instagram, at VI. And now let's get to that conversation with Brian Edwards from Vegas Insider. vegasinsider.com is the global leader for sports gaming information and it's your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts every week we're joined by one of our vegas insider experts to make us a little smarter and this week we welcome a senior handicapper from vegasinsider.com the great brian edwards brian welcome back to great Dane nation
3: tom thanks so much for having me how you doing
1: buddy I'm doing great. And make sure you check out the latest from Brian on Vegasinsider.com and follow him on Twitter at Edwards. And Brian, since we went super long with the playmaker, I don't know if you know anything about Michael Irwin. That guy likes to talk. We're going <laughs> to dive right into our quick picks for the week. The first game I want to hit with you is one of the best games of the weekend for my money, the 8-3 and Titans hosting the 8-3 and Browns, two of the best running games in the NFL with Derrick Henry for Tennessee and the two-headed monster of Chubb and Hunt for Cleveland. Titans opened up as 3.5-point favorites. That's now up to 5.5 points. Why are the Titans almost a touchdown favorite over a team with the same exact record?
3: Well, I I think if you look at Cleveland's schedule – you can kind of figure it out because outside of beating Indianapolis, they really haven't beaten anyone of much merit. They, they've they caught a schedule break and being able to play the abysmal NFC East. So they've got wins over Washington, Dallas, and Philly. And then they beat Cincinnati twice in tight games. And they beat the Texans and Jaguars. So – Indy's the only team with a winning record that they have beaten, and the Browns are 1-4 and four against the spread on the road. They're mired in a 1-5 and five against the spread slump. Now, some of those were wins, but just when they were favored, they didn't quite cover, uh, which doesn't really apply here because they are the underdog. But I'll also note that Cleveland is 11-18-1 against the spread in their last 30 as a road underdog. And kind of like last year, I think Tennessee's getting hot at the right time, they're three and one, both straight up and against the spread in its last four games. Tannehill's been terrific all year with a twenty-three to four TDI and T ratio, and Derrick Henry has put up three consecutive one hundred yard games. He's now at one thousand two hundred fifty-seven rushing yards, which is tops in the NFL. Twelve touchdowns, four point nine uh, yards per carry, and you know I think Henry gets better as the weather gets colder. Because he's a big boy. And when you hit him, it uh it doesn't feel as good as a defender when it's, you know, 20, 30 degrees. I'm not I'm not positive what the weather's gonna be in Tennessee this weekend, but I doubt it'll be hot. And I'm gonna go with Tennessee minus five and a half, and I would like it even up to up to six. Uh, as there's a few spots or maybe at six right now. But uh as long as Tennessee's six or fewer, I like the Titans.
1: Our next game features two of the more surprising teams in the NFL this season, but not for the same reasons. The disappointing three-win Eagles head to Lambeau to take on the 8-3 and Green Bay Packers. The Packers opened up as six-and-a-half-point favorites. That number is now up to nine. Could this one get ugly? I think so. Um,
3: obviously, it's a red flag for Philly playing Monday night football and then going on the road that, you know, that's just your basic red flag in general. And uh, Philly one in four, both straight up and against the spread on the road this year. Carson Wentz has had a bad season, 16 to 15 TDINT ratio And uh, Green Bay has won five games by double digits. Aaron Rodgers has been terrific, thirty-three to four TDI and T ratio, sixty-eight point five completion percentage, thirty-one hundred passing yards. Uh, the Packers are four and one straight up, three and two against the spread uh, at home, and I think they're going to win by double digits. So, um, obviously, in both of these instances with Tennessee and Green Bay, I, I wish I'd have gotten in uh, Sunday night or early uh, on Monday. But uh, nevertheless, I still think both are going to cover. I would like Green Bay up to 10. I wouldn't want it uh, any north of 10. But Green Bay at minus 9 or 9.5 right now, I like the Packers.
1: The final game I want to hit with you today is one that people might not have expected us to talk about, but I'll explain. It's the 6-5 and five Vegas Raiders heading to New York to take on the 0-11 New York Jets. The Raiders are coming off one of the strangest losses of the 2020 season, a 43-6 loss to your 4-7 and seven Atlanta Falcons. The Jets are coming off a 20-3 loss to Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins. The Raiders are 8-point road favorites, Aren't the Jets due? Is this overrated Raiders team primed to hand New York its
3: first win of the season? I sure hope so and Tom, let me apologize for eating so much chalk cuz I'm represent- I mean I'm-, <laughs> I'm calling for three fairly heavy favorites this week, but I think Vegas will bounce back. I completely put the jinx on them last week by backing them against my Falcons. Every time I go against my Falcons, they play one of their best games of the season. Uh, But look, Vegas is still 4-2, and both straight up and against the spread on the road. And with that loss, they're now on the outside looking into the playoff picture but they're either one game or only a half game back so they gotta have the they've got to have this win so i think we'll see a, a focused vegas squad i think maybe they were a little hungover from the heartbreaker to the chiefs was which was a division game then going to atlanta uh it was obviously a bad hangover but um look the Jets are just awful. They can't do anything right. They've got the worst head coach in the NFL. Yeah, they have had a couple of covers in the last month. They got that backdoor cover at the Chargers, but um, the Dolphins really put it on them this past week. They've got so many issues. I, I think Vegas will bounce back, and I, I like the Raiders minus eight. But let's be clear: more than anything, we're just fading the Jets, which I do pretty much every week. It hasn't bitten me very often, other than that aforementioned Chargers when they got the. The back door a few weeks back.
1: Brian, thank you so much for joining us again. And before I let you go, tell everyone what you're working on and where they can find it.
3: Yeah, Tom. Uh, my Twitter handle is at VegasB Edwards. And uh, your listeners can uh, find my SEC notebook every Friday afternoon, early Friday evening that I write on all the SEC games at VegasInsider.com. And obviously, uh, my picks available at VegasInsider.com as well. And remember to check out VegasInsider.com
1: slash GDN for your free weekly pick for the NFL weekend. That's VegasInsider.com slash GDN. Brian, thanks for the time today. Tom, thanks so much for having me, man. You have a great weekend. Look forward to talking to you soon. And now Morton Anderson's game winner.
0: I believe that situational awareness is paramount to optimizing performance, especially when interspersed with a healthy amount of improvisation. There are numerous examples of this powerful performance combination in sports. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, and Patrick Mahomes all had and have the innate ability to be in the moment without letting it overwhelm and then to put their own spin on it. Likewise we saw a playmaker from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, who by way of the U in Miami, stopped in Dallas and made history with the Cowboys on his way to his final station in Canton, Ohio at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was and always will be the playmaker. And Michael Irvin, like all the greats, had the flair for the dramatic. He's complicated and yet he projects an abundance of confidence and unique personality that serves him well in his current broadcasting career. His story defines him and he talks about his past in vivid detail. Before he became the playmaker, there was a promise to his high school coach after his dad's passing to stay close to the family and play ball at the U. That loyalty to his mom paid dividends for Michael as he developed into the phenomenal playmaker that we all know and love. He understands loyalty, recognizes it, and lives it. To Michael Urban, nothing is more important than loyalty and being someone whom you can count on. Ask any of his teammates and they will say, without exception, that no one worked harder and wanted it more than number 88. He understood the big moments and embraced them. He appeared fearless and always put his own signature firmly on some of the biggest plays that we ever witnessed. Many of them he created in championship games and Super Bowls. He is without question, one of the greatest ball hogs that we have seen. Give me the ball, throw me the ball, I want the ball, I'm open, I will score. Give me the ball now. That was Michael Irvin, and despite the fact that there was only one ball to share, he felt confidently that he could do more with it than anyone else. And he was right. And it was poetry in motion. The Cowboys saw it and have three big juicy rings to show for it. The powerful legacy of the triplets, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, and Michael Irvin, shaped the franchise and made it a force for history. As for number 88, you can be sure He left nothing on the field. He's older and wiser now, but still comes at you fast like a true playmaker. We'll see you next time.
1: Great Dane Nation is presented by VegasInsider.com global leader in sports gaming information, and your authority for the newest and best sports gambling podcasts. A big thanks to Michael Irvin for joining us this week, and thanks to Brian Edwards and the team at Vegas Insider. Remember to visit VegasInsider.com GDN for your free weekly pick for the NFL weekend. Great Dane Nation is available on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review today.